I told the early service, this is a, a, a we have a sermon series, and uh, I didn't plan this sermon series. As a matter of fact, um, I had no idea that uh, it was all even moving in this direction, and then it sort of opened up to me, and I said, oh my goodness, look at what the Lord has done. It began, I suppose, on the Sunday before Christmas when we talked about Mary and how the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her she was going to have a baby. And Mary said, that's not possible. And the angel Gabriel told her that nothing was impossible with God. And what she needed to do was just expect God to be God. And she did. And you know the rest of the story. The next Sunday... We went from Mary and the birth of Jesus to Lazarus in the tomb. And outside the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus told his sister Martha to roll away the stone. Martha was reluctant and Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Martha, what you need to do is you just need to expect God to be God. And she did. And you know the rest of the story. Last week, we talked about Elisha and how Elisha lost his beloved mentor, Elijah, and how in that moment, picking up the pieces, he picked up the mantle of Elijah and returned to go home. And when he did, immediately he found himself at the Jordan River that was uncrossable to him. And he took the mantle of Elijah and he struck the waters of the Jordan and he said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Elisha simply expected God to be God. And you know the rest of the story. Well, this morning, we continue in the time of Elisha to look at the life of a little girl, a little girl who expected God to be God. She uh, it grew up in Israel, but when we find her, she is a little girl who has been taken captive. She is a slave girl working for a man whose name was Naaman the Syrian. But this little girl, her faith had somehow been shaped by Elisha, perhaps by stories that she had heard of him or things that she had seen him do. But really they were things that she believed that only God could do. She believed that God could move mountains that were immovable. She believed that God could part waters that were uncrossable and solve problems that were unsolvable and heal diseases that were incurable. We find her story as it begins in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. We will just look at a few verses at a time. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So our story begins first with this man who had an impossible situation in his life. And this morning I want you to think perhaps of the impossible situation that might exist in your life. Naaman was a mighty man. He was a revered man. He was a great man. He was a feared man. He was a man who went in and out among kings and princes, but there was a qualifying adjective that shaped everything about Naaman's life. 
He was a leper. The Bible says here he was a great man, but he was a leper. He was an admired man, but he was a leper. He was a feared man, but he was a leper. He was a man who went out and in among kings and princes, but he was a leper. That was the thing that qualified his life by all who knew him. Maybe there's a descriptive adjective about you. This, this is a great lady, but. This is a good man, but. Or maybe it's something that, 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 that you failed at. Maybe it's a sin problem in your life, something everybody knows about, and it now qualifies how you think of yourself. Or maybe it's something that nobody knows but you. It's some secret in your own life, but every time that somebody asks you to do something, you have the opportunity to come to church or the opportunity to think about God. You think about this failure, this problem in your life. The devil points at it and reminds you of it, this character flaw, this besetting sin. And this simply tells the truth about, Le about Naaman. It's who he was. He was a leper. And apart from some miracle or from some act of God, this was who he would be the rest of his life. That would have been the end of the story. Look at verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. And here's the second person in the story. This little girl who expected God to be God. She was a captive, a slave, but she had a tender heart and a mighty faith. Here, God put her in the king's palace. Put her in a position to tell of her faith in God. But God not only puts little girls with tender hearts and, and huge faith in the palaces of kings, sometimes he puts those same little girls, little people, in the paths of people who have hard hearts and cold hearts toward God. One of my favorite stories comes out of the life of D.L. Moody at a time when D.L. Moody was preaching. He tells the story of a little girl who went to school and her teacher at school back in the days when people, teachers could do this, would tell her little, little children about Jesus and tell them how they ought to tell all their friends about Jesus and tell everybody they knew about Jesus. And she went to her teacher and told her about this little girl she was concerned about. She said, I asked this little girl to come to church with me, but she said that her daddy didn't believe in Jesus and that he didn't believe in God. The little girl left school that day, that little girl did, that told her teacher that about her friend's daddy. And as she was going home, she met the dad, that dad of that other little girl on the sidewalk as he was coming out of the post office. And as only a little girl would, she walked up to him and she said, Mister, why don't you love Jesus? If that had been a man, he would have just shoved him aside and gone on his way. But he couldn't just push the little girl aside. And she looked him square in the eye again and she said, Mister, why don't you love Jesus? Well, he went on his way and he walked on down the sidewalk and he said with every pound of his feet on the sidewalk, it seemed that his feet, the pounding of his feet, were asking the question, why don't you love Jesus? He went to his workplace and he tried to work. He said he tried to write some letters, but every time he tried to write everything that he tried to write down, just ask him that same question, Mr., 
why don't you love Jesus? So he just decided to give up and go home. He went home and he walked in the door of his home and he saw his own children and the eyes of his children seemed to be asking him the same question. Why don't you love Jesus? And that night he went to bed and as he lay his head on the pillow over and over and over, that same question went through his mind. So he decided to get up. He said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to get my Bible. I'm going to read the Bible until I prove that the Bible is false and Jesus is a lie. And he opened the Bible to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that cold-hearted man because of the persistent faith and tender heart of a little girl, gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in Naaman's home was simply a little girl, a little Jewish girl, a little Hebrew girl, who believed that God could do anything, who believed that the God that she served through the hands of Elisha could part any water that needed to be parted, move any mountain that needed to be moved, solve any problem that needed to be solved, or heal any disease that needed to be cured. So, amazingly, Jesus tells us that in the days of Elisha, he never healed a single leper in Israel. It made people mad when Jesus told that story because he reminded them that what Jesus had did, what Elisha had done had been in the life of of someone outside of Israel. And it made, them, it made them mad. But he reminded them, Elisha never, but the little girl, although she had never seen Elisha heal a leper, she believed that it could be done. That was her faith. That was her hope. She simply expected God to be God. Verse 4, So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria, Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. And here we have the third character in this story, and that is the king who doubted God's power. This king of Israel, was his own heart was so struck by terror when he received this letter, and it's because he was not a man who had any hope in God. He, he didn't believe that God could solve these problems. He didn't believe God could cure a man of an incurable disease. And the reason he had become a cynic was because in his own heart, he was so distant from God that he no longer believed God could do anything. Isn't it true that in our lives, especially the lives of some of us who are older, not the little children who are sitting here, but some of us have become so skeptical and cynical about what God can do. And the reason that we're skeptical and cynical is not because of how God has failed us, but, the how, but because of how we have failed God. We are so distant from him that our hearts are cold and our faith is cold. But not this little girl, but so this king of Israel. He was a skeptic. 
Where do you stand in this matter today? And who are you in this story? Are you Naaman, the person who stands desperately in need of God's touch? Are you the little girl who has a heart full of faith expecting God to be God? Or are you the skeptic, the doubter, the person who has no faith in God's power because you have no personal experience with God? Verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him now come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And we've already seen this man, but we need to look at him again. Number four, the man who needed the touch of God upon his life. And today in this service, or listening to this sermon, it might be you. That might be your life. Of course, Naaman, in desperation, made the journey to the home of Elisha. And he made that journey not on the shoulders of his own faith, but on the shoulders of the faith of a little girl. And like Naaman, any person who comes to God for him to work a work in their life, that person must be desperate, and and he was desperate. And so you might be sitting in the service today or listening to the sermon and say, that's me, I am Naaman, I am the leper in soul, I am the person who is not who they appear to be before men, and I need the touch of God upon my life because I have this qualifier that follows me everywhere I go. The devil mentions it to me over and over and over. You would be but a good daddy, but a good mother, but a good Sunday school teacher, but a good preacher, but you are. So there he stood, Naaman, with all these chariots full of goods, ready to buy his healing from Elisha. Verse 10, and Elisha sent a messenger messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry. And went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. What was it that God wanted from Naaman? Did he want his goods or his gold? or his garments, all that stuff he brought. No, he wanted, he wanted his surrender. He wanted his heart. And so Naaman, being a man who was used to going in and out among princes, although he was a leper, thought surely since he, he commanded respect in his own country that when he came to Elisha, he would command enough respect that Elisha at least would come to the door. But Elisha didn't even come to the door. He just sent his servant. And what Naaman would need to do would be obedient and just expect God to be God. But Naaman had some problems, and we want to look at those. First, I want you to notice his disgust with Elisha's method. He said, I don't want to wash in those nasty rivers. That's not where I want to go. Uh, I, want to, I would rather, you need to come out, and because in my country, if I was doing this and, and some of the, some of the, the priests in my country were offering a healing, they would come and, and they would say some kind of 
incantation, there'd be some kind of hocus pocus, they'd bring out some idol, there'd be some ceremony, there'd be some show, something would happen some way. He was used to that, and he didn't get that from Elisha. Second, I want you to see his doubt, and his doubt concerned the median of the medium of the healing, the rivers themselves. He didn't want to get in that muddy water of the Jordan. What could it do? How could it help him when there were clearer, crystal clean waters in Syria? And third is disobedience, which almost cost him his healing. He just turned and went away in his rage. Finally, his servants talked him into going back and being obedient. And the Bible says in verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Let me tell you a story in the New Testament that's sort of like this story, and it's a story that I dearly love. There was a centurion, a soldier like Naaman, a commander like Naaman, a man who had authority over other men like Naaman who once came to Jesus with a problem. He had a servant who was sick. And the centurion said to Jesus, I want you to come to my house. And Jesus was going to come. And the servant, he said, no, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. He said, but I understand how this works. He said, you see, I am a man under authority. And I have soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, do this. And he does it. He said, I understand how authority works. All you have to do is speak the word. You give the command. And whatever you say will be done. That's a pretty significant amount of faith. For a man who never met Jesus to say, I know you can do this. You give the command and it will be done. That is exactly what God was expecting from Naaman. You do what I told you and I will do the rest. You yield yourself to my authority. You obey my command. Do what I say and I will do the rest. You expect me to be God, to do what only I can do. Is that the situation where you are today? Is God asking you to do something similar? I want you to believe in me. I want you to put your faith in me. I want you to believe that I can move the mountain that seems to you to be immovable, to part the water that seems to you to be uncrossable, to solve the problem that seems to you to be unsolvable, to cure the disease that to you seems to be incurable. I want you to put your hope and faith in me. You simply need to expect God to be God. Because there was a little girl who did, who imparted just an inkling of hope and faith to this commander, this general, he came to Elisha and he found that God can do things that no one else can when we yield up our lives to him. And of course, the end of the story, if we were to read it all, we would find that Naaman puts his faith and hope in God. He becomes a believer in the God of Israel and he lived the rest of his life as we should live the rest of ours expecting God to be God. Let's pray.